Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 248. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Master Certified Life and Weight Loss Coach, Katrina Ubell, MD. This is the podcast where busy doctors like you come to learn how to lose weight for the last time by harnessing the power of your mind. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hello there, my friend. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I have a really a good one today, something we really have not discussed on this podcast before, believe it or not. And I think it's it's high time that we discuss it. I think that this is really going to resonate with a lot of people. And so I'm excited to discuss it. Before we do that, though, I want to share with you another book that I really enjoyed. Now, if you're just like, what do you mean a book? I have a book that's going to be published in September of 2022. And in my experience with the publishing world, it takes a lot to get any book published. And there's so much that goes into every book. This is one of those things that I kind of understood on a kind of conceptual level before, but now I really deeply understand it. (laughs) And Authors and books need all the help they can get. So I want to share with you just various books of all different kinds that I have thoroughly enjoyed myself and that I am very happy to recommend. And, you know, if it ends up helping an author or helping them to get their message out, then I am all for it. So this book is called We Are All Perfectly Fine. It's written by Jillian Horton, MD. Uh, The subtitle is A Memoir of Love, Medicine, and Healing. I heard about this book when I spoke at the Canadian Women in Medicine Conference in back in June. And several people were during my talk in the chat were talking about this book and Jillian Horton and how much they loved it. And so I picked it up because, you know, 
That's what I do. That's how I roll. People get recommendations. I'm all about it. And I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I've said before, I love a good memoir. I just love hearing people's stories. And I love seeing what they make of those stories, like what the learning is for them, what the teaching is for them, and how they continue to develop and grow. And I love being a part of that. So Jillian Horton is an internist who works in Canada. And she was also an associate dean in a medical school. Like she was, you know, really involved, just really like the way she described herself just made me think of like, she was totally that doctor that you were like, oh my God, I love, 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 love being with her, that she was a great person for people, you know, who are struggling students who are struggling to go and talk to her. She would help in any way she could. She was just really involved. Her patient population was also just very underprivileged and disenfranchised and had a lot of problems. And she was just like doing it, doing it and doing it. And then Oh, and also like throw in, you know, a family, several children, like the whole nine. And she found herself totally burned out. And so the story within the memoir, basically she weaves in everything through the story of her going to a retreat in, I want to say New York, that she went to for several days for doctors who were burned out. And she talks about just her experience there and the different people that she met who are all doctors and all the different things that had happened to them. And she talks about why she became a doctor. She had a sister who had some severe health problems that started in childhood. And just all the, I, I just love hearing people's stories. Like she's just super talented as a writer. She actually had considered doing that as a profession, then decided to become a doctor. And it's just, it's just, people are just not simple creatures. And I love, I love the complexity. I love just, I just cannot tell you how much I love like honesty and vulnerability and people just saying it and writing it the way it was for them. Because I think so often we see so much of ourselves in that as well. One of the biggest problems that we have, I think, is this idea that we're the only ones that struggle, that, you know, it's unique to us, that something's wrong with us because we think or struggle in the way that we do. And reading books like this just helps us to understand it's not just us. This is everybody's universal experience. It may show up in different ways. It may manifest itself in different ways in our lives, but we're all going through similar things. And what I also love is that she doesn't end the book like, and then I was cured. And now I never have a problem ever again. You know, she's like, yeah, I'm a real person who's really working on this, on this stuff. And she's continuing to do that. I tried looking her up on social media to see what was going on. Like she doesn't seem to have much of a presence at all. So I don't even know if she'll hear about this. I don't know her, never met her, just bought the book and loved it. So if anyone knows her and wants to just let her know <laughs> that I thought her book was great, <laughs> I'd appreciate that because. I think it really can be nice to get some positive feedback. Like sometimes we just feel like we live in an echo chamber and we're just putting stuff out there and we don't know, we're not, we're not, you know, getting that feedback, especially when it makes a positive difference. I know for myself in so many different, different experiences in my life, I've been like, I absolutely love this thing. I've told all these people I know about it, but like, do I actually, you know, write to the author or the person who put on the course or, you know, the people who own the store or whatever to let them know that I had that great experience. I typically don't. And so I just thought this was a nice opportunity to maybe get the message to her that I loved her book. I thought it was great. And okay, so are you ready? This is this is how and now I'm going to really share 
how crazy I am. I am also very opinionated about the kind of paper that is in a book, the size of the font, the shape of the book. Like I, I have a lot of opinions. Maybe you've noticed. <laughs> but anyway, do you, how much do we love it when the cut edge, I don't even know how to describe this, but I'm going to try to the, the, the cut edge of the paper, right? So like you've got the spine on one side of the book and then on the other side, like the long side, but the pages are cut when it's kind of like rough and cut sort of jaggedy. Oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) I love it. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I love it. And this book is like that. The paper feels good in your hands. It's just, yeah, my eyes are are starting to go a little and I could still read it. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you get a book and you're like, who is involved in this? Like the paper is like, you know, the pages are Bible thin, you know, (laughs) there's more black on the page than white. It's just like my eyes cannot see this. What is going on? Anyway, it's just a, it's a nicely put together book. What I also love is that the main colors are blue and she is kind of known for having a dyed blue streak in her hair. That's kind of her thing that is sort of her little way of rebelling or just showing some personality, which I think is a ton of fun as well. So anyway, we are all perfectly fine. A memoir of love, medicine and healing. Jillian Horton, MD, is the author. I loved it. If you like a memoir, I strongly suggest that you pick this one up. And, and you know, I feel like all memoirs are quick reads, but I just, yeah, I couldn't put it down. I stayed up late reading it, which is, you know, says a lot. <laughs> so, so please enjoy that book. Okay, we're going to talk about rage eating. Have you ever rage eaten? I think of rage eating as, well, we could describe it two different ways. The first way is eating in response to feeling rage, right? So if we think about that thinking cycle that I've taught you before, you have thoughts, thoughts create your feelings, feelings drive your actions. So if you're feeling rage, that could drive the action of eating. Usually we are eating because we don't want to feel that way anymore, right? We're wanting to dampen the rage that we're feeling, we're wanting to neutralize it, you know, we're eating or maybe drinking alcohol to just try to make it go away, right? We're like, oh, I don't like feeling that. And we're trying to make it go away. If that is what you're doing, then this is really not any different than processing any kind of emotion where we aren't willing to feel the emotion and we're eating and drinking or drinking instead to try to make it go away. What we need to do is learn how to process that rage. I personally find that writing is for me personally, just having experimented with a lot of things, I, like journaling my rage out usually is what's most cathartic. And like when I'm writing, I'm writing super fast and super messy and it's really not legible afterwards. So it's the point is not to go back and review things or to gain necessarily any insight out of, you know, from it, really the purpose of it is much more to just get it out. You know, all the the thoughts that are swimming around in my head and spinning around and um, creating so much rage, like I just need to get them out. I'm also a rage crier. I, I crying can sometimes be hard for me. It's not something that often comes that easily for me. But but when I'm really angry, I do uh, often feel the need to cry. And so when I'm able to get the rage to come up and get it out when I'm journaling, often tears will come as well. And I find that whole process to be really helpful in terms of me processing the rage and being able to move forward from it rather than continually feeling the rage I've had that experience too, right? Then you eat or drink, try to make it go away or distract yourself with something, but then the rage is still there. You still haven't processed it. You're not able to move forward. 
So that is a great way of dealing with that kind of rage eating, right? You're like, I'm eating in response to this rage that I'm feeling about something that's happened in my life. And I would like to not be eating, then what we need to do is process those emotions. Another way that I like to process rage or anger is turning on like angry music. And then just like, you know, we could call it dancing, we could call it movement. (laughs) I would probably call it more movement, but moving my body in ways that allow me to express physically the rage that I'm feeling. That's very, very helpful in terms of moving those emotions through. So that can be super helpful as well. Just think about like, you know, if you like boxing or something or like kickboxing and, you know, you do a workout like that and you've had a lot of rage, like you will probably feel better because you've been able to move that rage through you through the punching. You don't necessarily have to do it in that way, although you can, you know, punch, you know, pillows or your bed or your couch. You can scream, scream into a pillow if you need to, so you don't alarm people just to move that emotion through your body and out. So that's the first kind of rage eating. The one that I want to dig into a little bit more deeply today is eating as a way of punishing yourself because of the rage that you feel toward yourself. So in the other kind of rage eating, we're talking about just feeling rage about something maybe that's happening in your life versus this is more directed towards yourself. You're so enraged with yourself that you want to punish yourself or hurt yourself and you're eating in response to that. Sometimes that can be just eating in in what we'd call maybe a more regular way. Sometimes it can be binging. This is where maybe you recognize, you know what, I'm full but you feel like you deserve to be punished. So you eat more to the point of feeling uncomfortable or very uncomfortable as a way of hurting yourself or punishing yourself. Now, I do just want to say that if you're in a situation where you believe that you have an eating disorder, if you believe that you're really struggling with binge eating or binging and purging, bulimia, anything like that, then you would definitely want to seek out some expert guidance on how to work through that. I'm speaking more today toward people who are not necessarily identifying as having a full on eating disorder, but are still using food as a way to hurt themselves or punish themselves. So sometimes we're doing this, like I could, I could envision some, someone listening and being like, I've never done that before. Why would someone do that? Or maybe someone listening and going, you know what? I'm not sure if I do that. So this would be a situation where if you feel like you've been bad, right, you've made bad decisions you've done, you know, something that you think you shouldn't have done. Maybe you're seeing the consequences of those decisions now, and you are punishing yourself by eating food. That's what I'm talking about. So in my mind, I think of this as a more extreme form of beating yourself up or braining yourself. So some people, you know, if we take it even further, like some people might, you know, be cutting or doing other self-harm behavior, this can be a version of that. So again, I'm going to ask you to use your best judgment if this feels like something that's out of control, or you feel like it's worsening, and you definitely are, you know, looking for some help, you're going to want to reach out to, you know, qualified therapist who can help you, or maybe even just to your general practitioner who can help to guide you with what your next steps should be. But for somebody who feels like, no, it's not to that point, but I still do this. This is what I'm going to be able to offer to you today. In a situation like this, what we're doing is we are we are punishing ourselves because we think we deserve it. And when we think we deserve it, that's just the opposite 
of offering ourselves love and compassion. So I find this to be when this happens when someone holds themselves to a very high standard and when they're not able to reach it, then they think they deserve to be treated in this way. They often are very, very judgmental of themselves just in general. And they find that the regular narrative in their head that speaks very negatively to them maybe isn't enough. They don't feel they feel like they need more punishment or they need to be whipped into shape better. And they don't know what else to do. So then they're just eating and eating and eating. And they may have the awareness of like, you know what? Like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Like, I don't even want to eat this. This doesn't even taste good. Like there's not pleasure being had from this kind of eating. This is truly as a way to punish yourself. What I suggest in this case is that you completely drop the goal of losing weight until we've worked through this. Okay. I also, like I said, I suggest that you, that you find some additional help because I do think it can be helpful and easier to work through this when you have someone to guide you through, whether it's a coach or, or a trained therapist. But if you're working on this on your own, I don't want you to be worrying. I don't want you spending any brain effort on trying to like follow any kind of eating plan or any of that. That is truly just a distraction from what the real problem is, right? A strict eating plan will not help you to overcome this. The thing that you have to recognize is that the way you think about yourself is what's creating this, right? You have very negative thoughts about yourself that then create the rage that you feel toward yourself. And then in response to that, you want to hurt yourself further and those, and then you take the actions of eating. So that's created with your thoughts and not because something is like broken with you or there's like, you know, something inherently wrong with you. I want to be clear about that, right? This is something that's created with your thinking and that's the best news ever because what that means is that if you decide you want to change it, that's available to you. So I suggest that you really move toward and focus all your energy on creating self-love and self-compassion, offering yourself the benefit of the doubt, forgiving yourself for mistakes, you know, the perceived mistakes, right? Maybe you did make some decisions that you regret now. Maybe knowing what you know now, you never would have made those decisions, but beating yourself up now and, and punishing yourself either just by your negative thoughts or by eating more food than your body needs is not going to help you to make better decisions in the future. And it certainly won't prevent you from making bad decisions in the future. If anything, it will just make you much more anxious about making decisions, much more indecisive because you're so afraid of what the consequences will be if you make a quote unquote bad decision again right? Because you know what will end up happening. Like you're, you're basically, you know, abusive to yourself when you perceive yourself as having made a bad decision or, you know, the consequences of that decision being poor, then, you know, like you're coming for yourself if you make a bad decision. So of course you'd be terrified to make any decision moving forward, right? So losing weight and all of that, like all of that will come in due time, when you have done this work first, even if you just do this periodically, this is something, this is where your, your work should focus. So when I talk about like some people need to do some work on themselves first before they're really ready to lose weight, this is one of those examples that I'm talking about where what you need to be doing is understanding what you really think about yourself and understanding what the consequences of that is. 
When I think these thoughts, I feel this way and I tend to take these actions. It creates this result for me. If I do not like that result, then I can change that. But the first thing is not just like, like the way of fixing that is not just putting myself on a strict diet. What I have to do is I have to change the way I think about myself. I have to decide that the way I'm thinking about myself and feeling about myself is not serving me, has no upside and is creating a lot of problems for me. And I can decide to think differently. Now, you may be like, well, if I am living in self-hatred and I'm moving to self-love, that feels like a really big, you know, bridge to gap. Or I should say that feels like a very big gap to bridge. That may be the case for you. And that's where coaching can really be so helpful. What we do all the time is talking about changing our beliefs. How do we go from identifying what we currently think to thinking something new that creates a different result for us? What I will tell you, though, is that going through the process of finding the next most believable thought that moves you closer to the way you want to think about yourself and then practicing that deliberately and repetitively is what will get you there. I've seen this time and again with clients who have been willing to do the work to change this. Usually they come from a place of like, everyone else has given up on me. I don't know what else to do. So I think I need to actually really do this. And they create amazing results for themselves because they keep going with it. So this is not one of those things where you can just try it two or three times and then expect it to stick, especially if you've been thinking negatively about yourself. And if your opinion of yourself has been poor and negative for a long time, or is very intensely negative, it's going to take a lot of practice, but it doesn't mean it's not possible. And one of the ways that I love to, to think about this is like, it doesn't mean that I never get mad at myself. I mean, it's okay to be sometimes, you know, frustrated or mad at yourself, but I get over it quickly. So, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I have a dog. I am a dog person. I love my dogs. My dogs are like another child to me, (laughs) but here's the thing. So my, my first dog, she was, she was a great dog. She did drive me crazy at times, but you know, she's been done now for several years. And so I think my memory of her is like, she was such a good girl, but my current dog, he is everything. He is amazing and horrible and disgusting and so cute all at the same time. (laughs) I won't get into the details of why, but I will tell you that like sometimes he's so gross and he can be so frustrating and I'll just, you know, be mad at him for a short time, but like, I can't stay mad at him very long. He's just a dog. He's just doing what dogs do. And sometimes that's really annoying and really gross. (laughs) And I'm just able to get over it quickly because of the way that I think about it. Now, I could decide to just like hate on him and think he's the worst forever, but I don't. I allow myself to feel the frustration and anger with him when he does the things that he does. And then I move past it quickly. And then I'm right back to just being like, you're awesome. I love you. Even when you're gross, you know, I just accept him for all of his characteristics. Similarly, similarly to how he accepts me, right? Sometimes he wants me to play with him or take him for a walk and I don't, and he probably doesn't love that, right? But he still loves me and accepts me. Now, the reason I bring this up is because many people find that the only example of unconditional love that they've ever experienced has been from a pet. I just want to point that out. So, you know, if if that may be the case for you as well, sometimes we can say like, well, what would be like for like family member, but depending on your family of origin or whoever you, whoever raised you, you may not have had really that experience. So we can offer ourselves the same, like I can do something and just be like, what was that all about? Like, I don't know what, 
what was my deal? You know, I can allow myself that normal emotion. I don't have to never think that anything I ever did, you know, was ever, was never a problem, but I can just allow myself to feel it, process it through and like, and move on. Like, okay, what's the next thing? I don't need to stay mad at myself. I don't need to punish myself. I don't need to think that I deserve something horrible or negative in my life because of the thing I did or whatever outcome I'm not happy with. We want to move forward from it quickly rather than staying entrenched in it and just building up our evidence for why something's wrong with us. We're not good enough and we deserve to be punished for that. So ultimately when you're doing this work, what you're doing is you're moving toward yourself instead of against yourself. When you're eating as a way of punishing yourself because you're so enraged with yourself, you are pushing yourself away. You're saying you're wrong and bad and you deserve to be punished and you deserve to feel uncomfortable and you deserve to be, you know, spoken of really negatively, which is a pushing away. When you allow yourself to move toward yourself with self-love and self-compassion, you're trying to understand yourself better. You're trying to create an environment where you want to be with you. And I just don't know any other way to have the freedom around food that we want than to come up with a way to offer ourselves love, compassion, and, and just grace. We're going to screw up. We're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do dumb stuff. I do it all the time. Am I going to make that a big deal or not? I used to make it a big deal because I had such perfectionistic standards for myself. And I thought that doing something dumb meant something bad about me. And now I'm just like, yeah, sometimes I do that. On to the next thing. It's just not as big of a deal as it, I don't have to make it as big of a deal as I might otherwise make it. So the rage eating part just falls away. You no longer need to do that when you're not thinking those thoughts that you need to beat yourself up and that food is the way to do it. And so I just really wanted to speak to this because I coach on this in the Weight Loss for Doctors Only program. And it's a way that we can engage in self-harm practices that's not often discussed. And a lot of people aren't, you know, bringing it into our awareness. So I'd be curious to to know if you ever feel like you've done this before, if you do it on a regular basis, if you used to do it and you've gotten over it, what helped you with that. And I just want to mention just one more time that if things are feeling out of control for you, if you feel like it's getting worse and worse, you're definitely going to want to seek out some professional help to help you with this because it is self-harm like any number of other ways of harming yourself. But I think that sometimes it's, you know, not quite on, on to the point where, where we need to maybe get help in that way. We can often work through it on our own or with coaching support as well. So that's what I've got for you today on rage eating, something that comes up from time to time. All right. On that note, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your attention. And I will talk to you next time. Take care. Ready to start making progress on your weight loss goals? For lots of free help, go to katrinaubellmd.com and click on free resources.